All right. So again, tonight, the knowledge of God is what we're going to talk about. And when we think of God's knowledge, it's easy to just look at it from the aspect of, hey, God knows everything, right? He is God. He should know everything. Um, But do we ever stop to think how deeply that affects us and how many aspects of our lives that the knowledge of God affects and the and also how deeply the knowledge of God affects not only our lives, but all things. He knows everything and his knowledge affects all. So there are various names to that to this attribute of God. And these names are things such as God's remembrance, God's sight, his Foreknowledge, his omniscience, his knowledge, of course, his wisdom and prudence. These can even be broken down into various ways, such as knowledge of vision and knowledge of intelligence. So knowledge of vision is God's knowing all that has been, all that is and all that shall be because he has decreed it so. God's knowledge of intelligence means that God knows all possibilities, even though he has not decreed to do them. So he knows all possibilities of everything. Now, we in our minds think of possibilities of things, of what could have been or what may have been. God, in his infinite knowledge, knows of all possibilities of everything. Uh, And it comes down to his will, right, as to whether or not things will be or they will not be, you know, but he is the one who knows all things. God's knowledge also extends to love and approval. He said to Israel, He said, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. This is in Amos chapter three, verse two. And then in Matthew 7, 23, we find the Lord telling people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, in the the verse in Matthew, it does not mean that God never knew of that person at all. But he did not love them savingly. They did not enter into that saving relationship with him. And when they go to stand in front of him on that day, when he calls them into eternity, he's going to tell them to depart from him. He never knew them. Even in, uh, and that's in a saving way, but even in Amos 3, you know, he says, You only have I chosen or have I known of all the families of the earth. But he goes on to tell them (coughs) in the second part of that verse that he is going to punish them for all of their iniquities. So God's knowledge extends to love and approval. You know, so the things that we do in terms of sin being his Children, we're not going to get away with those things. He's not. He's going to chasten us for the sin in our lives. Right. Why? Because he 
loves us, and he chastens those whom he loves, right? Uh, next week, we'll talk, we'll talk more about God's knowledge in terms of him knowing us. And we'll talk about our sin and things like that and, and what that means in terms of God's knowledge and our sin and how we should respond whenever we sin. But his love, extend, I mean, his knowledge extends to love and approval. His knowledge is a, a perfect knowledge. It's knowledge that elevates him far above all else. God is the only wise God, and even in his grace of allowing us to know his mind through his word, there is no way for us to fully comprehend God's knowledge. Job chapter 11, verses 7 through 9, if you want to turn there. Starting in verse 7, it says, according to your knowledge, I am indeed not guilty. Yet there is no deliverance from your hand. Your hands fashioned and made me altogether. And would you destroy me? Remember now. Oh, sorry. I'm reading from. Sorry. Y'all, you can stop me. (laughs) Say, what what is your problem? (laughs) All right. Sorry, let's do that again. <clears throat> Job chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. It says, can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are as high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth. And broader than the sea. So God's knowledge is a perfect knowledge. He knows all things. And again, he allows us to know some of his mind through his word. But we cannot fully comprehend or describe God's knowledge. Now, God does not lack The perfect knowledge and wisdom necessary for a perfect king. And again, as we said before, he is king. He is over all. And if he is to be a perfect king, he must have perfect knowledge of all things that he has created and all things that he has rulership over, which is everything. Right. So God has perfect knowledge. He has an infinite knowledge. God's knowledge is infinite. And we see that in scripture also. Psalm 147 verses four through five. And again, tonight will be a lot of uh, page turning. But like I said. We're just easing back into it. Okay? 
Psalm 147, verses 4 through 5, says this. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. And that word infinite literally means innumerable. So there is no limit to the understanding and knowledge of God. There's no lack. There's nothing that he is missing in terms of knowledge. It's innumerable. Have you ever, as a as a child, gone outside, looked at the clear sky, saw all the stars and then tried to count them, you know, tried to do something like that. And then how soon do you forget, <laughs> you know, and you want to go back even to the point where you started before and try to count. And it's a futile exercise, right? It, it, it truly is for for us, but it points us to God. And we see that he knows all of the stars. He has given them all a name. That is the knowledge of God. And, and how awesome is that, that he knows all of them, each and every one. And it kind of makes me think of Psalm 8, where David is looking at creation and then he asks the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? You know, just observing all of the creation that the Lord has made. Isaiah takes it a step further by pointing out the incomparable glory of God whenever Israel was, <coughs> excuse me, whenever Israel was doubting him. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 26 through 28. Starting in verse 26, it says, lift up your eyes on high. And see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. <clears throat> Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. So <clears throat> Israel had started to doubt God and Isaiah is pointing them to the glory of God saying, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. So, again, just looking at creation, he knows 
the stars. He calls them by name. Not one of them is missing. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? You know, the one who was fearfully and wonderfully made by God in your mother's womb, the one that he knit together. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He will not forget about you. So it's like whenever you are tempted to think that God has forgotten you, no matter what it is that you are going through, the trial, the tribulation that you may be going through, look to the promises of scripture. Look to the word of God and remember and take comfort that the Lord will not forget you as his child. More on the infinite knowledge of God, we read in Romans chapter 11, what the Apostle Paul said. And he says, he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. See, his knowledge, his understanding It is a well that never runs dry. God knows everything. So we get to see. uh, So what what Paul was alluding to here, what he was talking about was God's saving grace. That's what he had in view here. And uh, we get to see the mind of God in terms of salvation and, and the saving grace that God has. But even Paul, if you look in uh, verse 34, the next thing that he says, even Paul acknowledges that we still cannot know fully the mind of God, even though by his grace, he does allow for us to see some things we cannot know fully the mind of God. And in verse 34, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? You know, no one knows fully the mind of the Lord. No one can instruct God as if they know better than he does, because he has all knowledge. It's part of his his essence. It's who he is just by essence of who he is. He knows all things through His creation, he knows all things. He is the one that has created it all. He knows it all (coughs) intimately. Okay. any questions or uh, comments? No. Okay. so in this portion, uh, verse 34, Paul Uh, The Apostle Paul is drawing from Isaiah's reputation of idols and Isaiah chapter 40 verses 13 through 14. Here's what it says, starting in verse 13. It says, who has directed the spirit of the Lord 
or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding and who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? See, this just goes to show you it's it's a rhetorical question, you know, because there is no one who has instructed God. Right. And even in terms of the uh, the idols that Isaiah was arguing against, you have an intelligent God that knows all things. No one has ever instructed him in comparison to these dead, dumb idols, you know, that people are are worshiping. But it's our God, the God of the world, the God of this earth, the creator of this world that knows all things. He possesses all knowledge. He never learned a thing. He knows it all. And we'll talk more about that um, next week whenever we talk about uh, God's foreknowledge. But the Lord alone possesses all knowledge. This should also be a reminder to us that whenever we are seeking counsel for any issues of life that we may be facing, we don't want to seek the counsel of man over God. Now, we do want to have godly people in our lives that will point us to scripture, that will direct us and help counsel us through the word of God for us to come to a decision and thank God for those people because we should have them. It's biblical for us to have those those types of people in our lives. But we should never elevate the um, the the opinion of man over the instruction of God. Even our own selves, you know, we like to come to a decision on our own and think that we have it all together. And we don't go to the word of God for the counsel that we need or to godly people to help us make that that right decision. And, you know, we kind of elevate ourselves over the counsel of God. And that is a foolish thing to do. And we end up learning lesson the hard way, right? Whenever we do that. But, you know, we never want to elevate ourselves or anyone else over the counsel <coughs> of God. Now, wise, godly counsel, it truly is beneficial to uh, to our lives. Any comments, question? <coughs> All right. <clears throat> so God's knowledge, it is a divine knowledge. God's knowledge far transcends ours. OK, so we don't want to compare the knowledge that we have to the knowledge that God has his far uh, uh, transcends the knowledge that we have. Isaiah 55 verses eight through nine. 
starting in verse eight, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, again, no comparison of our knowledge to the knowledge that God has for, you know, because any any knowledge that we have, we receive that from God. Right. So that should guard us against any pride that would build up on the inside of us for any knowledge that we have, you know, because and even when it comes to knowledge, (coughs) excuse me, even when it comes to knowledge of God, the things that we learn about God, yes, it does build us up. And yes, we do want to share those things with others and to teach others. But being in the fallible state that we are, you know, we're only scratching the surface truly of who God is. And it is by his grace that he allows us to share, you know, in in a beneficial way to other people. But we never want to get puffed up within ourselves as if we know so much and we are just that person, you know, because God's knowledge far exceeds ours. He is. Listen, we're going to be experiencing the glory of God throughout eternity, you know, and, and we thank God for what he does show to us through his word and how he builds us up through his word and the knowledge of him that we grow into as we read his word, as we pray, as we sit under faithful teaching, as we obey the word of God. These are things that build us up within, um, within God. And, you know, they help us to learn more about him. But again, we are barely scratching the surface of how great God is, you know, and we never want for our knowledge of him to puff us up as if we are, you know, just so wise. And, you know, thank we thank God for the things that he does bless us with for the knowledge that he blesses us with. But don't let that turn into pride. You know, do not do it. What you learn about God, share that with someone else. Tell them about the goodness of God, what you know about him. Share it with them. Build build them up in God. OK, because everything that that we learn, all knowledge that we have comes from God. There's no other place for it to come from except from God. God is the one who gives wisdom and knowledge to men, as Daniel 2.21 tells us. He gives knowledge, but he never receives knowledge. And why does he never receive knowledge? Because he has a perfect, infinite knowledge. He knows all things. He never learns anything. He knows it all. See, human beings know and learn by a, a process that involves observation and experience, 
listening to the words of others and reasoning in our minds, even reading books and other educational materials, listening to, you know, educational things, you know, that that's how we learn. But what we know changes over time and we forget sometimes the things that we learn. Sometimes we forget more than we learn. Right. Not so with God. And that's part of God, his his uh, attribute of immutability. That's it. That ties in here to his knowledge because his knowledge never changes. He knows all things perfectly, immediately. He knows it all. So there isn't a thing that God can learn. And we'll talk about that even next week in terms of uh, salvation, you know, because that's that's one of the things that trips a lot of people up, you know, but we'll talk about that more uh, more next week. But God (coughs) knows all things immediately and dependently, and he knows all things past, present and future. Louis Burkhoff, in his systematic theology, said this. He says, the knowledge of God may be defined as that perfection of God, whereby he, in an entirely unique manner, knows himself and all things possible and actual in one eternal and most simple act. See, God knows everything. Once One thing I was reading about it, It says by all in one blow like that, everything. He knows everything. He's not learning anything now because he knows everything. (laughs) You know, we're again, we're learning things, learning things. God knows it all. Antonius Theseus says this. He says, God exercises knowledge in a simple single, immutable, infinite and eternal act. That is, he knows all things always, immediately and at once and necessarily. He knows everything in such a way that he is unaware of nothing. He has to learn nothing, does not advance in knowing anything. He does not err. He supposes nothing, forgets nothing, and he does not remind himself of anything. Man, how powerful is that when speaking of the knowledge of God? See, God knows everything by essence. Again, like we talked about earlier, by essence of who he is. God knows all That he knows all that he knows because he knows himself and what he has decreed. Again, his knowledge is far and above ours, but it is not a knowledge that causes him to be distanced from his people. He's this this God that cannot uh, be related to that. That is just so cold and far off. You know, he knows all things about us, you know, and all creation. 
but he has not set himself so far away that we cannot know him, that we cannot know him intimately, you know, through a, a saving relationship. Um, Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. Starting in verse 17, it says, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If you should if I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. How beautiful is that? How beautiful. You know, we can't even describe, you know, uh, David is saying here, you know, how, how precious also are your thoughts of me. How vast is the sum of them? He can't even count. them. Does that sound like a, a, a God that is cold and indifferent to his people that does not want to have a relationship with his people that does not want for his people to know him better? It does not. It sounds like a loving God to me, a loving father that wants for his children to know how much he loves them. Psalm chapter 40, verse five. says, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Again, that just speaks to the goodness of God toward his people, toward his Children, he is good to us. You know, we can't count the ways that he blesses us just on a daily basis. You know, that's why it's important for us to be thankful in all things and everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God. We can look if we just sit and think of the small things, the very small things that we take for granted in life each and every day and start to thank God for those things. We don't have to question whether or not he loves us, whether or not he is a gracious God. When you think of the simple things, you know, the fact that you can get out of bed. Yes. But I mean, the fact that how your hand works just without thought, how you hear things, how you see things, how you move, you go outside and you 
experience, even if it's not the best weather for you, not your ideal season, you can still experience the beauty of God's creation. And you can go outside and breathe in that <coughs> that cold air, you know, or if it's snowing or if it's raining and the rain falling down on you. It's a grace of God, especially when you compare that to the fact that some people cannot even get out of bed, like literally cannot get out of bed. And you get to experience the goodness of God. We have to be thankful in everything, in everything, because we take too much. You know, we take too much for granted. You know, I'll speak for myself. You know, I know I take too much for granted and I want to become more thankful to God just in the simple things. Amen. Just in the simple things. <clears throat> so God's divine knowledge includes complete knowledge of his children, and that should bring us joy. Right? First Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 8, verse 3, it says, But if anyone loves God, He is known by him. If anyone loves God, he is known by him. And that will take you back to what we talked about in the beginning. It's like, you know, when you stand in front of the Lord and give that account for your life, you know, for those that don't, uh, who have not repented of their sin and trusted in Christ, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. you worker of iniquity. But if anyone loves God, how do you love God anyway? How do you love God? That is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's not something that we can do on our own. You know, that is a work of the Holy Spirit through regeneration, through rebirth, you know, That we can love God, but if we love God because we have turned to God from our sin, then we are known by him. And to be known by him, that's something that is intimate. It is an intimate knowing. It is in the saving way that he knows us, but everything about us, every weakness that we have the strength that we think we have you know every single thing about us he knows so what does that say we don't have to hide anything from him right we do not have to hide from God we can be completely open with him the one who knows all things about us You know, and we have that relationship with him where we can go to him with anything, cast all of our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. Right. So 
God's knowledge is called uh, his his omniscience. Right. That's what we think about. That's the word that comes to mind whenever we think about God's knowledge, his omniscience. He knows all things. God's that's how his his infinite knowledge can be summed up as omniscience. And that comes from the Latin omni, which means all and scientia, which means knowledge. So all knowledge. A.W. Pink said this. He said he knows everything, everything possible, everything actual, all events and all creatures of the past, the present and the future. He is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven, in earth and in hell. His knowledge is perfect. So God has a perfect knowledge of everything. He has a self-knowledge, right? God's self-knowledge. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. actually start in verse 13 and says, then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus, you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent you. Then also Isaiah 45, verse 22, it says this. It says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For for I am God and there is no other. So just with those two verses alone, and we could go to many more, but just with those two verses alone, This shows that God is conscious of who he is. And this includes the Trinity, right? Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Matthew eleven twenty seven. it says this, it says, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and anyone to whom the son wills to reveal him. First Corinthians two ten. it says, for to us. God revealed them through the spirit for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So. We see the father, the son and the spirit here with 
the knowledge. So God has a uh, he's conscious is what I was saying. God is conscious of who he is. He is God. He doesn't need to make any excuses for who he is. He says, I am, you know, so that that I I think we talked about how that just spoke to uh, his self-sufficiency. He doesn't need anyone else. He is God. He's not a created being. He doesn't depend upon anyone else. As we're talking about tonight, no one counsels him. No one has taught him anything. He's not learning anything about us. If he had to learn things, then that would mean that he's not perfect. You know, and and that would blow everything up. We would all be in trouble. Right. But he needs no one else. He doesn't have to apologize for who he is, nor do we have to apologize for him. Um, since we're like talking about the Trinity, I had a question, but it feels like now maybe it would be the nice time to ask. Um, okay. So like I think like all these verses we're looking at are showing like the wonders about like the extent of uh, God's knowledge, how we, you know, <laughs> supersedes everything. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, like, one thing that really interested me the most mm-hmm. was, uh, like, in Matthew 24, uh, when uh, verse 36. This is kind of like where Jesus was talking about his second return. And he was talking about how no one knows when he's coming back except for the Father. And he mentioned like not even the Son, no one in heaven, Mm -hmm. not even the Son. as great as like reading everything about how much God knows everything and his knowledge goes beyond what we can imagine. Is the floor upstairs? Was that? Is the floor upstairs? Uh, yes, it is. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome. I feel a little more kind of like thrown off by the fact that the son doesn't know how about the the second return. Yeah. So <clears throat> Matthew twenty four thirty six, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. So <clears throat> with that, you know, like what you're dealing with there you know christ he if we go to philippians go to philippians chapter two so jesus christ truly god truly man 
fully God, fully man, right? So, him in his humanity did not take away from his deity at all. You know, he was truly God, truly man, fully God, fully man. And uh, if we go to Philippians, Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above Every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So Jesus humbled himself, you know, in, in obedience to the father. He didn't count Equality with the father as a thing to be grasped. Did that mean at any point that he was not fully God, that he was not truly God? No, because you see that even in some of uh, some of the instances where the people were coming up against Jesus, he said, The the word says that he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew their heart. So how did he know their heart? That shows his deity, you know. So some things he willfully set aside in his humanity never took away from his deity at all. Not in in. Uh, any instance did it take away from his his deity. So now regarding the second coming, where is where is Christ now? You know, where where is she? I mean, do you think that he doesn't know what's going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and fully know. What's happening? You know, so take that into account that he humbled himself. He did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Even when it talks about he was growing in learning in obedience, like he's fully God. What does he have to learn? You know what I'm saying? What does he have to learn? Because he's God. So that hypostatic union, truly God, truly man, he never gave up his deity, you know, 
But he humbled himself. He humbled himself. And you see, when he says that he knows the heart of men, how? Just being a man, could he know the heart of men and know the sinfulness of men if he was not God? You know, there are many things, many things that he could have done to prove that he was God and many things that he did do so much that uh, John says that the books, you know, there, there aren't enough books to record everything that he did. You know what I mean? So he humbled himself. You look at that as as humility, you know, and, and nothing else, because that's what the scripture tells us. He never gave up his deity at all for not for one millisecond, did he? But in his humanity, he humbled himself, you know, so. He knows all things. You know, he's seated at the right hand. He is king. He's, he knows all things that are happening. He created all things. He holds all things together. So is it a question of then, just at that point, or do you think still now that he doesn't know? Is that a question Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I look at it. I don't know what to make of it. You know, that's why it's something that's always been in my head. Yeah. So it's not that I'm saying something. Yeah, no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Jesus humbled himself. That's what you have to remember. He he humbled himself. He didn't uh, did not count. Equality with God as something to be grasped, you know, <clears throat> so he humbled himself even more so in in just that. Think about when he was being um, when he was being persecuted, you know, when, when he was being persecuted in his deity, he could have ended it like that. But in his humility, he let it go on. He humbly went on for our sake, you know, for for so that we could have that relationship with God through him. He was obedient to the point of death, you know, the death on the cross. Yeah, so I, I like I get the how like Jesus humbled himself like while he was on earth <coughs> in the form of God um, like I guess like just for me personally like I've been just trying to understand the dynamic of the Trinity you know God is like three one yeah and I've always wondered whether like Jesus lacked certain powers when he was on earth like for example <coughs> I, like when he was uh, talking about the great commission he said like now all power has been given unto me and then he, said, he gave them the command and said go and make disciples of all nations like those like instances 
makes me wonder. It just makes. <laughs> I just can't help but wonder. And that's fine, you you know, yeah. That, yeah that, that's not to say Jesus is not God. I'm just trying no, to understand no. the dynamic. No, and when you have when you have questions like that in terms of wanting to learn and understand it, man, go for it. You, you know what I mean? Go for it and search the scriptures to find it out. You know, but when you're talking about Christ, you're talking about someone who is not a created being you know he did not just with the incarnation come to be you know what i mean he was here from the beginning everything that has been created was created through him you know he's been here from the beginning so he has all power and yes all authority he says all authority in both heaven and earth have been given to me, go therefore, make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, but he's not a created being. The eternality of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all here from eternity. Like so, when three gods in you know three persons in one. You know, you have three distinct persons in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Where you run into danger is saying that they have um, like modalism, you know, they uh, one God that operates in three different modes. So one God that operates as father one time operates as son the next then operates as holy spirit in a different capacity that's heresy you know and, and people like td jake stephen furtick michael todd those are people who they they teach things like that you know but no that's not what scripture tells us you know one god uh three distinct persons right father son Holy Spirit. How are they one? Mind, will, purpose. And mind, will, and purpose. There is not one thing that they are separated on in terms of the mind of God, the will of God, the purpose of God. All, they work perfectly together. You know, if someone is a child of God, they are chosen by, according to the foreknowledge of God. And like I said, we'll talk about that next week, but they're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. His foreknowledge is not foresight. He did not look down through a telescope of time to see who would eventually say yes to him. No, he chose them in eternity past, according to his foreknowledge, chose them. The son died for them. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates the heart, that dead heart that cannot respond to the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit that works and shatters that heart of stone 
makes it a heart of flesh so that it can respond to the command, repent and believe in the gospel. But you see, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and mind, will, and purpose working together in the salvation of each and every uh, each and every believer. You know, there is no separation. So, yeah, I mean, talking about the Trinity, it's not, you know, we, we have to believe what Scripture says about the Trinity. It's when go off into and I'm not accusing you of this so do not think that I'm doing that but when people go but like the people that I mentioned by name you know when they go and do all kinds of crazy things trying to explain the trinity apart from uh, from scripture like the one that I told you I I just watched something the the other day it was uh, Michael Todd he had uh, a glass, a big glass of water, okay, on on a table, and he says this represents the Father, and then he goes to the next, like right beside it, and he asks the people, he's like, well, what do you see here? What is this? And they said it's ice. Yeah, you know, well, this represents the sun, you know, and then he came over to. Uh, What's that? Boiling water. And he didn't even do boiling water. He did dry ice, and somebody pointed that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he poured some water on it, and then you have the vapor. And he's like, what is this? Well, this is the Holy Spirit. You know, but he's talking about how they in, in uh, they operate in different modes. One God operating in different modes. Modes. He wasn't saying this is one distinct person, you know, the water, the ice, the, you know what I mean, the steam that came out. He's not saying these are distinct persons. He's saying it's one God operating in different modes. So that's that's heresy. That's that's modalism. That goes against what scripture says. So we have to go to scripture. And even though the things are confusing, could be confusing to us. We still have to say yes and amen to it because it's God's word. You know what I mean? And we just have to dig and believe his word for, you know, for what it is. But again, having the questions, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so it wasn't my intention to like deter you from like the point you were making. No. But I was just like, I, was, I guess I was just trying to see like whether Jesus when you use the term like uh, humble like do you think his powers were like diminished during the time he was around in his deity no they were never diminished his powers were never diminished in his deity he remained fully God in in his uh, you know in his deity you know in his humanity of course, he, he got weak. He slept. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? In his humanity. But in his deity, never diminished at all. Would you say like his humanity is part of his deity? His humanity is part of his deity? Well, 
I mean, now he's forever, <laughs> you know, who he is. You know what I'm saying? So he took on flesh and blood, right? But now, you know, he's never to, you know, never to suffer the things that he suffered while he walked on this earth. You know, so there is never going to be a point of weakness in Christ. He's God. All power, all authority. He has it all. There's nothing. There's nothing missing from him. He was restored to that fellowship that he had with the Father. You know? When you say stuff like restored through the fellowship. <laughs> it just kind of looked like as if like he was he was made lesser and then he's like that. Can I read a note that might be helpful? Go ahead. Um so this is regarding to more the Son. Mm -hmm. knowing that. It says mm -hmm. although Jesus is omniscient with respect to his deity, with respect to his humanity, his knowledge is both finite and changeable. Mysteriously his two natures are united in one person, yet their distinctive attributes are not mixed or confused. His humanity remains humanity, and his deity remains deity. You hear that? Yeah, I, was, I wanted to add to that, too. Like, um, Christ, he, he cannot cease to be divine, nor did he, but through his humanity, he veiled his deity with the humanity. Like, when it says he was a bondservant, he was a slave, that's when he humbled himself, but he, he never stopped being God just through his humanity and his humbleness. Is, you know, like you like you just read, I think it just reflects that. Mm -hmm. You know, he never ceased to be God. He never relinquished that power, but through his, like Christ willingly humbled himself in the incarnation. Mm -hmm. And so he, you know, he, he took that role on it willingly, and it's just like you were saying, he just through his, his, his humanity, being like us, I mean, because if you wouldn't have did that, there was no, there's no payment for our sins. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way it could happen. <coughs> that's it. I mean, that that's truly it. You know, it was man that sinned, so man had to pay that debt that was owed to God for sin. If not, we're doomed. You know what I mean? If not, we're doomed. When Christ died on the cross, he never died as deity. Okay? His deity never died. You understand? His humanity, his physical flesh and blood, blood was spilled out. He died, right? They took him off of that cross, laid him in the tomb, resurrected on the third day. You know? Sin came into him. And Jesus had to be human. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Ten more questions, right? Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, and please, man, that's 
Listen, this is this isn't a sermon. You know what I'm saying? This isn't a sermon. This is it's Bible study. So you you know what I mean? So ask ask away. Let's have the discussions. That's that's what it's for. You understand? So please don't apologize for asking questions. You, you know what I mean? That's what we're supposed to be. That's what the Bible study is for. So I'm I'm good with it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So God's knowledge of creation. So God is the creator of everyone and everything and has a perfect knowledge of it all. Job 28, 24 says about God, it says, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Psalm 33 <clears throat> Psalm 33, verses 13 through 15. It says, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from his dwelling place. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of of them all. He who understands all their works. So God has a knowledge of of his creation Hebrews 4:13 and it says it says this it says and there's no creature hidden from his sight but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do so god sees all that he has created there is nothing that escapes his sight and here we can see god's omniscience and his omnipresence Linked together. See, God is everywhere. He's everywhere. So he fills this room. Every place that there is to be filled, God fills. There's nowhere to hide from him. He knows all things because he is everywhere all at once. You know, you can't contain God. That was one of the things that we talked about when we... um, went through the lesson of <clears throat> God's omnipresence. He is everywhere, everywhere. There, there's, you cannot contain God. So you link that with his omniscience. He's everywhere. He knows everything all the time. There's nothing that can be hidden from his sight. <clears throat> So he knows all things because he is present in all places. Uh, Psalm 139 verses five and seven. Psalm 139 verses five and seven. In verse five, it says, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Verse seven says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? There is no place that we can go to hide from God. Nowhere. Uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verse three
It says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. And our last verse for the night is Jeremiah 23, verse 24. Jeremiah 23, 24, it says this, it says, can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. So no place that we can go to hide from God. You know, this is part of his knowledge. He is everywhere at all times, knows everything at all times. So that's where we'll conclude tonight. But uh, next week, we'll discuss more about the knowledge of God. We'll speak about, (coughs) sorry, we'll speak about the omniscience of the Trinity. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how they know all. All things. We'll talk about how God knows all things, proof that God knows all things. Then we'll speak about God's knowledge as it directly relates to man. So on a practical uh, on a practical level, what does this mean for us? And then we'll talk about the comfort that we should get from knowing that God knows all things, especially as his as his children. Now, uh, if we are not in Christ, then there's a different dimension of that for sure. But knowing that God knows all things as his children should bring us uh, comfort. And then time permitting, I'm going to try to fit in um, foreknowledge as well. I think I'll be able to do it. We'll see. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's what we'll talk about next week. Any more questions? I have a essence is 
knowledge because he can't not know. He can't unknow. He can't forget. He can't be reminded. You know what I mean? So he possesses, he, he is true knowledge. You know, that that's just by his essence who uh, who he is. So yeah, I wouldn't say that his knowledge is distinct from you know from who he is. It's his it's a perfection of his. Now we can't be, you know what I mean, that can't describe us because our knowledge is fallible. You know, we do forget things. We do have to be reminded of things. We do have to learn things. Whereas God does not have to learn anything. He knows it all. It's because it's who he is. You know, perfect knowledge. That's, that's who he is. Yeah, so I would say that that is part of his uh, his his essence. I wouldn't say that it's distinct from uh, from him. Good. Yes. Good question. I think like in Proverbs, something about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I, I think like uh, God Himself is, is knowledge, but at, at the same time, also in Proverbs, it talks about knowledge, obtaining knowledge being like the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. So I can see like the conflict yeah. I think maybe sometimes the words have like just like the way we looked at the night how uh, um, to know has like these two different meanings. Mm-hmm. Maybe the word knowledge is also used in different contexts. Um, I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think that that is a. Uh... You know, that's definitely a good question. And that was something that I read about, too. And pantheism was the thing that that came up. You know what I mean? Because if God was knowledge in that way, he would not truly be God. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I, I would say his his is by essence, by his essence, he is. He is um, knowledge. All right. Any questions? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for uh, the lesson tonight. We thank you for the discussion that we have had, God. And we pray that you would continually help us, Lord, to grow in you, grow in the knowledge of you. You are perfect knowledge. God, we know that you know us inside and out. And we want to be comforted by that fact that we have a God that a father that does not change, that loves us, that is merciful and gracious, that cares for us, who does not change, who knows us inside and out and who longs to show us who he is. So help us, God, as we go through the coming weeks of this study that to know more about you, to grow in knowledge of you, and to not hang on to the things that we learn for ourselves, God, but to be spurred on into obedience of 
you and of your son and your word. And Lord, help us to share the goodness of Jesus Christ with all of those who you put in our path. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.